Welcome to A Bigger Life, where you can break through the distractions, stop, listen, and speak to God in prayer. I'm Dave Cover. I want to help you use the Bible as your conversation with God so you can live a bigger life. Last episode, we looked at Psalm 110 and talked about how it's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. And the reason why is surprising because it's not a particular psalm that we would be drawn to on our own. And the significance is really in the theme of the psalm, but really two verses that are the most often quoted verses, or at least referred to verses in the New Testament particularly verse 1. We looked at that in our last episode. It's a psalm of David. And so as we've talked about, David is this pre-Christ figure in the Old Testament. He's a pre-Messiah kind of figure. And so God promised him that on his throne would be the Messiah, his throne would be forever. Second Samuel 7, you can read it for yourself. It's, it's one of those prophecies where it has certain elements in it that are true for his son Solomon, but then the ultimate references are toward the Messiah, because only the Messiah's throne could be forever. And so it's one of those things where when you look at this psalm, it's sort of the verses that are most often quoted don't really stick out to us as verses that would be that inspiring. I mean, they're fine, but they're not verses that we're going to put on our magnet on the refrigerator. But I think it's because in some sense we're missing a really key aspect of why this psalm is so important. For me personally, This psalm is one of those big evidences that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is one story that is this amazing multi-thousand-year story that's about Jesus. The things we read in this psalm, particularly verse 1 that we looked at in our last episode, and then we're going to look at verse 4 today because it's another often quoted verse in the New Testament that when you see how the this psalm a thousand years written a thousand years before Jesus is describing better than anything perhaps that could be written in the new testament to some degree who Jesus is and what his role is as the messiah so we looked at verse 1 last time i'm going to read it again Yahweh the i am the lord said to my lord now this lord in the second is this L-O-R-D that's not all caps. It's just a capital L. And that's just the word for Lord. The first Lord is Yahweh. The first Lord is the all capital L-O-R-D. The Lord said, so Yahweh said to my Lord, and then the quote, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. We talked last episode about how Jesus quoted this psalm. He brought it up as a a puzzle, a riddle, so to speak. Who is David's son? Because he's talking about this Messiah, but he calls him my Lord. And he's saying, Yahweh said to the Messiah, Yahweh said to my Lord. And so Jesus asks, whose son is he? I mean, a person wouldn't call his son his Lord. And Jesus is trying to throw a buzz bomb in their theological assumptions that is the Messiah is not just a son of David, but he's actually the, a son of God, the son of God. And so this 
God saying to the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. This anytime the New Testament talks about Jesus being seated at the right hand of God, it's referring to that verse in this psalm. This psalm is telling us that this king, this Messiah, is going to sit at the right hand of God and that this Messiah is actually so great that David calls him his Lord. The greatest king in Israel's history is referring to this king, this descendant of David, as his Lord. It's really interesting how Jesus is saying, look, this is, here's an example of something you've missed. Here's an assumption you've had about the Messiah that's been wrong, and it's been right there in front of you for a thousand years. I don't know. I just, for me, I just find that cool that when God becomes human and starts to teach about the Bible, he just quickly points out something that everybody's missed and it's been right there in front of us all along. That verse is the most quoted verse in the New Testament. But then there's verse four. And verse four, again, is not a verse that when you read it, you're going to think, oh, that's great. I can't wait to meditate on that and pray that, put that on my refrigerator magnet. But at at the same time, it's probably one of the most important verses in the Bible. And it's another verse that, again, shows me how this psalm, and Jesus said this psalm written by David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that was Jesus' view of all the psalms. And, 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 And Jesus said it, and I think this psalm proves it. That verse four says, the Lord, again, this is God speaking to this Messiah figure, this king, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And then here's the quote. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, you and I read that and we're thinking, huh, okay, whatever. And we move on. But that verse is really telling us something amazing and, again, would break the assumptions of people about who the Messiah is going to be. Because what verse 1 says is he's going to be a king who's going to overcome all of his enemies. He's going to subdue his enemies as king, as Messiah. What verse 4 is saying, Yahweh is saying to this same person, God is still speaking to this David's Lord, this descendant. He says that you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, it, it here's all of a sudden this, again, another buzz bomb, so to speak. And that is it just kind of causes everybody to run for cover because it's a, it's a whole different element of what they assumed. This Messiah is going to be a king, but he's also going to be a priest. Now, nowhere in Israel's history was someone both a priest and a king because they, they would come from different lines of descendants of Abraham, actually literally descendants of, of Jacob. A priest had to come from the descendant of Levi, and a Levite would never be a king. Whenever a king who would try to do something priestly like Saul does in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God says, okay, that's that's rebellion, that's wickedness, you're done. A king can't be a priest. But here in Psalm 110, David is saying that this Messiah figure that he's calling his Lord and that God Yahweh is saying, and David is speaking by the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And that's the history we're all in right now. The Messiah is making his enemies his footstool and he's involving us in that. And he's sitting at the right hand of God. That's symbolic language. All that is symbolic language. But then verse four, he's also saying, You are a priest forever. 
a king was somebody who, in some sense, represented God to the people. And a priest was someone who represented the people to God. And the Messiah is going to do both. He's going to be fully God and fully human, the Son of Man and the Son of God. But he's going to be a priest. In other words, those who are represented by this Messiah are going to have Jesus be the one who is their representation before God. And the author of Hebrews picks up this, and it's, it's again, just bear with me. I know I'm a little bit geeking out here theologically, but I think it's important enough for us in this podcast where we're trying to emphasize what it means to lift our eyes and see the glory of God in a greater way, and that our lives would be these vertical lives where the glory of God is beginning to transcend our view of our horizontal lives to where we're more and more walking in this bigger story, this bigger life. And our life is being transformed more and more by the beauty and the glory and the radiance and the splendor of who God is and God's presence in our life. And I really do think that this verse, even though we may not understand it at first pass, is a really important thing for if we did understand it, it's going to allow you to lift your head even more in confidence and faith and joy. Because I think it really is amazing. The first thing it says is that God has sworn, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. We've talked about this, that, that, that our salvation is not based upon our day-to-day performance, even our day-to-day faith, the level of our faith. We naturally think that. We naturally think that our relationship with God is good or bad based upon where I am today in my faith and where I am today in my obedience. Now, I do think where I am today in my faith and where I am today in my obedience is important because those are symptoms, those are results of where my heart is with God. But the basis of the stability of our relationship with God, as we've talked about in past episodes, is God's covenant promise, God's sworn oath. And it's emphasized even more in this verse. Yahweh has sworn and will not change his mind. God has sworn about this eternal priesthood of the Messiah. You are a priest forever. So not only is he going to be a king forever, he's going to be a priest forever. Permanently. Eternally. His priesthood will never cease which is why God's steadfast love endures forever, as we saw in Psalm 106, 107. And he says this priesthood is not the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament law. It's the priesthood, he says, that is after the order of Melchizedek. It's a strange name and never one we would ever name anybody. But it meant in Hebrew, literally, king of righteousness. Melchi is my king, and Zedek is righteousness, king of righteousness. And Melchizedek is referring to a really super unique person who just pops onto the scene in the earliest years of God's covenant people, back when Abraham, remember God made the promise to Abraham, And he appears to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and he calls Abraham and says, 
this covenant promise to him that he's going to have descendants that outnumber the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore, and that he's going to inherit land, and that through his offspring, all the families on earth will be blessed. God made this promise to Abraham. And then in chapter 14, Abraham goes off to war and defeats these kings and frees his nephew Lot from their captivity. And he's coming back. And this person comes from Jerusalem named Melchizedek, king of righteousness. It says in Genesis chapter 14, just sort of out of the blue, verse 18, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. You don't have to be a genius to see the allusions to that in the New Testament. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram. That's when Abram, Abraham's name was Abram. He blessed Abram saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now that little that little thing right there just appears out of nowhere in the book of Genesis. It's the only time that we see Melchizedek except for here in the Old Testament. And it just appears out of nowhere. This guy whose name is King of Righteousness, King of Salem. Salem meant peace. You know, you hear the word shalom. And it becomes later Jerusalem. So here's this king who we don't know anything about. He appears out of nowhere. He's called the priest of God Most High. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know how that would happen when God calls Abraham, and it's the descendants of Abraham, that Abraham is the one that God is revealing himself to and part of God's covenant people, and he and his descendants are the only Yahweh worshipers, God worshipers in the, his time, and yet here's somebody who's called priest of God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and he's coming out, he's the king of righteousness, and he's the king of peace, coming out of Jerusalem, bringing bread and wine, and he is priest of God Most High. And he blesses Abraham and says, praise be to God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, uh, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Which is kind of saying the same thing that the Messiah is going to do as king in, in verse 1 of Psalm 110. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That, that this Messiah is going to be king. And, and this Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace, coming out of Jerusalem with bread and wine, priest of God most high. And we don't know anything about him before or after this story. But he blesses Abraham. And Abraham tithes to him, gives him a tenth of everything he won from the battle. Now that in and of itself, just appearing out of nowhere in the book of Genesis, is one of these Holy Spirit kind of foreshadowing stories about the Messiah that's going to really foreshadow the rest of the New Testament and foreshadows the entire gospel and foreshadows the bigger story, all in a matter of just three verses that obscurely appear in Genesis 14. So just like this Messiah of Psalm 110, Melchizedek is both a priest and a king. King of righteousness, king of peace, priest of God Most High. And he even reigns in the same place as the Messiah in Jerusalem. 
Now, in the New Testament, the author of Hebrews picks up this story and picks up this psalm and quotes this psalm. This psalm is quoted a lot in Hebrews, and it talks about in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, when God made his promise to Abraham, this covenant promise that is the gospel. And then it says in verse 16, people, this is, I'm reading from Hebrews in the New Testament, the book of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 16, people swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. And that's talking about this verse four, that when God says, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And this author of Hebrews is saying, look, God swears an oath, that's what a covenant promise is, and it puts an end to all doubt. And now I'm going to read again, verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. He confirmed it with an oath. Again, the reason you can have confidence in your relationship with God is not the level of what you have and do. It's the oath of God. It's the promise of God. I'm going to read that verse again because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose, and I would say in your life, very clear to the heirs of what was promised. So he confirmed it with an oath. So verse 18, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So when God has sworn, it's impossible for him to lie. It's going to happen. It's unchangeable. So he goes on to say, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Now he's using Old Testament priest and temple language. The priest would, the high priest would go behind the curtain to the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is. And that symbolized the very presence of God. It was an embassy of heaven back on earth. And nobody could go in there except for the high priest. And now this is talking about Jesus going to this place that is the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, the symbolic language, where it says, where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So this is taking this verse in Psalm 110, verse 4, and saying, look, this is explaining the whole thing. Jesus is this priest, just like God had promised in Psalm 110, verse 4, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. And here's what he says to this Messiah. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, the king of righteousness. This Melchizedek person in in Genesis 14, high priest of God, king of righteousness, king of peace, comes out of Jerusalem with bread and wine, I don't know if that was Jesus himself. It might have been. I don't know. It's just one of these mysterious passages in the Bible. The pre-incarnate Jesus, I mean. But here the author of Hebrews is quoting this very verse and saying, God did this so that we could take hold of the hope set before us, that he is the priest who enters the true presence of God, the holy presence of God, it says, on our behalf in verse 20. He is the high priest forever. 
So let me read on just because I just think it's so important and, and cool. Hebrews 7, 1, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. I'm just reading out of the New Testament. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, he says, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace, king of Shalom. I'm just reading out of the New Testament. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. So even the author of Hebrews is saying, look, this person's super mysterious and he's foreshadowing the son of God and he's a priest forever. Jesus is. Verse six, this man did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises, Abraham who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So this person is saying, this author of Hebrews is saying, look, Melchizedek is greater than Abraham because he blessed him and Abraham paid him a tithe. So then he quotes this verse in verse 17, for it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So it says in verse 21, he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And so the author says in verse 24, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Because Jesus rose from the dead and he lives forever, the priesthood is forever. He's the forever of Psalm 110, verse 4. Therefore, it says, I'm just reading the New Testament, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. So chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, just like Psalm 110 verse 1 says, and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by mere human being. Now, here's what's really important for us to get. Again, as Psalm 110 is written a thousand years before Jesus, written by King David. Jesus says, written by the Holy Spirit just like the other Psalms, just like the rest of Scripture. But Jesus quotes this Psalm now a thousand years later and says, you know, basically he's, he's quoting it because he knows it's about him. And he's pointing out the things everybody missed. This Messiah is not just a descendant of David because David calls him Lord. And he's also a high priest. He's not just a king forever, but he is a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, the king of peace from Jerusalem who brought out bread and wine and blessed Abraham and Abraham tithed to him. Everybody knew that when Jesus is talking about this, the psalm. And so Jesus is pointing to this psalm as who he is. 
And this psalm, again, is just it's kind of cryptic. You know, who would get all this? And yet it became true in Jesus. For me, that just gives me a lot of confidence. The Bible really was written by the Holy Spirit. It has this, I mean, just knowing how many centuries apart the one story is, this telling one story that nobody really understood until Jesus came and then it got all explained. Nobody understood the Melchizedek thing in Genesis 14. Psalm 110, written by the Holy Spirit, is giving clues to it. And then Jesus points to it when he's talking, and then the New Testament explains it. A story that takes thousands of years to tell. And it's the story that your life is in if you want to be in it. I want to be in this story. I believe it with all my heart. This is the story. Nothing else better explains these things, these, this, what would, I think would be an impossible, this miracle would be a greater miracle than any of the miracles Jesus did. The clues are all right there in a text we all have that's thousands of years old. And I don't want to miss out on this story. I need a priest that comes before God who is holy and blameless and without sin and righteous, the king of righteousness and the king of shalom. I need his bread and wine. I need his body and his blood as my sacrifice forever, but also as my righteousness forever before God. He is the reason why, because God has made a covenant. God has sworn and will not change his mind that through Jesus, the king of righteousness and the king of shalom, and through his body and his blood, his sacrifice once and for all, enters the most holy place, the most holy presence of God, and sits down at the right hand of God. And Paul says that those who have been made alive with Christ, crucified with Christ, made alive with Christ, raised together with Christ, and seated with Christ, right at the right hand of God, that He represents us. We are in Him. He is our righteousness. He is our shalom. He is our forgiveness. He is our priest forever. I want Jesus as my priest forever. And then what comes to that is this joy and splendor and holiness and radiance, this beauty, not just of having a priest who takes my sin, but also a priest who gives me his life, his resurrection, his kingship, that we will reign together with him, it says in Revelation, forever. We will be kings and queens forever, reigning with Christ in Christ forever, because he is our high priest forever. This is such an amazing story in an amazing book that no other explanation can explain it other than it is written by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection prove it's all true. Jesus' resurrection proves it's true. It's already started, and I want to be in this story. I think you do too. So let's believe this. Let's put our nickel down and say, I'm all in. Doesn't mean you don't have doubts. Doesn't mean you don't have days that are, you're not sure, but you're putting your nickel down and you're going all in. That's who you are. That's what you want. Jesus is my high priest and he's your high priest. Jesus, you are my high priest forever. According to this mysterious example of the king of righteousness and the king of shalom who brought out bread and wine, this story that's thousands of years old, and yet that's exactly pointing to who you are.
the one whose body and blood is given on my behalf. You are my high priest. You are my righteousness. You are the sacrifice for my sin once for all. And you have made perfect those who are being made holy. And so I am perfect before the eyes of God, just as you are. Holiness, perfect holiness, radiance, without sin, but righteous forever. Blameless, blameless in you, through you. You are my high priest, and so I am blameless forever. You are my high priest, and so I am righteous forever. You are my high priest, and so I will have a resurrection in a sinless body with pure holiness, true holiness, true experiential holiness, just like you, forever, with joy, joy being the result of holiness, joy being the goal of all this. For the joy set before you, you endured the cross, for the joy set before you, you became our high priest forever so that you, your joy could be made complete in us and that our joy would be made full. It's all for this joy of your kingdom because you are the joy-giving God. You are the life-creating God and you are the joy-giving God. And joy is found only in you, in your story, in this story. And so I come to you. I draw near to you. I come to the most holy place in the universe, the very presence of God in Jesus as my high priest. You have sworn and you will not change your mind. You have sworn that I have a high priest forever. Jesus is my high priest forever. Sitting at the right hand of God and bringing all the enemies of my soul and all the enemies of this world under your control as your footstool, under your feet. You have sworn your promise to Abraham and you have sworn your promise to David and you have sworn your promise to this Messiah, Jesus and you will not change your mind. Jesus, you are my high priest, and you will not change your mind. You have already done it, and I want to be in it. You as my high priest forever, my king of righteousness, my king of peace, at the right hand of God forever. And so I lift my eyes and I lift my head in confidence that this is who I am, and so I'm going to be this person today. In this story, with this confidence, with this hope. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.